The Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast brought to you by Adam Kasabi, the official realtor of the process and the official sponsor of The Normal Column on RightsToRickySanchez.com. The Paul Green Rock Academy, the official music school of the process and kinetic skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver on today's show. Um, just fucking terrible. The Sixers get... Just their asses handed to them in Boston. Um, I finally have gotten a little bit angry, and I haven't gotten that way all year. So um, Matisse Thibel gets skipped over for the Rising Stars game, and his agent was more than a little angry, it seems like. We'll discuss that as well. We are four days from the trade deadline, so Sixers Adam is going to join us. He will rev up the Sixers Adam trade machine, and we will judge the trades. We'll talk about the future of Zaire Smith, and a listener thinks we have not talked enough about whether the front office has done a good job, so we'll, we'll address that. Um, before we get going, we want to send our best wishes out to Oliver. Who is Oliver? Oliver is a dog of a listener. Um, Dylan writes in, a longtime listener from New Jersey who just moved to Portland, Oregon. He sent us a picture of his dog with him watching the season opener against the Celtics. Oliver watches every game with his dad and listens to the pod in the car. Three years old, and he was diagnosed recently with a kidney disease. So his dad, Dylan, and Laura are devastated but trying to uh, to get him well. So um, Dylan believes in the power of people and positive energy. So he asked if we could ask everyone to send their positive thoughts to Oliver on the pod. Um, I uh, You'll have to talk me into sending positive thoughts for humans, but for dogs, you really... You don't have to ask twice. So uh, we are sending our best wishes out to Oliver, who looks like a good boy. And if he sits through all of the Sixers games like we do, um, boy, does he deserve to recover from his kidney disease. So um, sending love to Oliver, Dylan, and uh, and Lara. So, and that's all we got. Uh, get well, Oliver. Good dog name, too, Oliver. Just human enough. It still seems like it could be a dog name. Like Rebel has a totally fake name. I wish he had a, a name that was a little closer to an actual person name. Like Spike. Um, without, what's, yeah, it's just like Spike. But you know, you know, people. There's other people named Spike. You know, I don't. It's sort of. I, I don't know just, any other people named Spike. But you've heard of them. Sure. Spike Lee, Spike I'm sure Jones. There's it, rebel names as well, though. Really? A, sure. a, a person named Rebel? Yeah, uh, for sure. I tried to, well, I tried to name my dog Drexel after another character in True Romance. My cat is named Alabama. And my wife got so mad at me for trying to sneak another True Romance name by her that she refused to change his name when we adopted him. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Without any further ado, Amos and the Chef.
forever. Welcome to the Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Gaskin, along with a guy who's going to tell me what specifically the Sixers are really, really good at. That is Mike Levin. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Bo- Sorry. Bothering me? So, yeah. Rain, <laughs> they are excellent on my at that. conscience? Yep, yep. Elite at that, I would say. Yeah. You know... I have officially had it with, um, 100% had it with, I guess there was a quote from Tobias Harris about, they had asked him about the struggles on the road. And God damn it, I forgot who posted it on Twitter. And he had said that they're aware of it and it's just an energy thing and yada, yada, yada. And you know what? This is gonna sound like old man shit, but it's actually true. Energy and effort, like those things are a habit. And if everyone thinks that, that like the, the, the flip the switch thing, which we all kind of joke about, is just going to happen when it matters most because they're able to do it once every 10 days when they play a, a big game, you are shit out of luck. That's not how it works. That they're they are not in the position. The only the only teams you can count to, that you can you can point to that have done that are teams that have champions on their team, who have like top three players, who who know what the playoffs feel like and know what it's like to to be able to do that every single night of the playoffs. The the feeling that this team has to have has to like understand is what it feels like to give that on a consistent basis. And, and that is the same, the effort and energy thing is the same as execution and is the same as skill. All of these things, they have to be habit. And you cannot think, I know that, and it does seem like from some of the quotes uh, that they're starting to get a little concerned, the players are about this. It's just, it's not going to happen. It's not. And if they don't, if they don't clean this up by the by the end of the regular season, I'm sure they could get to the Eastern Conference Finals, all that. But if they want to be champions and their calling card is going to be, we are this defensive team that makes you pay and makes everything hard on you, then that is then effort, then the effort of doing that has to be part of that all the time. It doesn't mean that they're not going to have some clunkers now and then, but there's just too many. You can't be nine and 17 on the road and have us asking this question, you know, 27 times during a season, if that's who you're going to be. And I, I, I wonder if, if like, if that's who they are, if that's really who, who the players on this team are, and if they are this year, at least capable of doing that. Yeah. I mean, I, they're certainly not this big imposing team. They might be tall in a, in a, you know, standing reach contest, maybe the Sixers would impose against some people, but how, how easy is it for other teams to get to the rim? To get, to get wherever they want. Like, mm-hmm. last night the Celtics had 15 assists on 38 makes. That means 23 makes were unassisted, and that's because they have guys that can get to the rim and no one was stopping them. It's... Uh, it was embarrassing, and there's been many embarrassing games this season. And I was trying to think, like, this team really, really aggravates me in a way that I haven't been aggravated since, like, the Doug Collins years. Um, and I was trying to think. That's like, a strong statement for yeah, you. Not, I, I don't want to, like, gloss over that. That's a real thing. That, and that's, that's not something that you've, you've, you're just saying today because they lost to the Celtics. Like, we're not doing this podcast right after the game, and it's not the first time you've said it. Yeah, I've well, I, 
I hated Doug Collins, and I, I still I still hate him. So every time no, I, 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 don't I, need Doug just, Collins. I need to just crystallize how how, yeah. how how negative I feel about the guy. <laughs> um, but this team, I mean, it's it is if you if you if you watched my behavior during a game, it is it is childish and inappropriate. I <laughs> I am not handling this well, and uh, in a way that like previous teams, yeah, the playoffs one thing like that's intense, but. Uh, regular season games when they're just like doing dumb, lazy shit. I don't understand why they don't play well together, why they don't seem to care a lot of the time, why they're always slowest to loose balls and don't understand the concept of long rebounds and aren't moving their feet or communicating. Uh, There's some possessions last night where I was like, all right, let's see how long it takes them to get the ball inside of the three-point line. And a lot of times it was... Never. It was just like pass around, pass around. Up oh, now, there's six seconds left on the shot clock. Got to do something. Something's got to go up. And sometimes the shot would go in, sure, but like there's there's no fluidity whatsoever. And I blame. I've said this before. Everyone, <laughs> absolutely everyone. Also, the fact that you know, obviously, some guys have played well over the past couple of games. Some guys played well last night. There's there's bright spots in any every time. Shake looked good. Corkmaz started playing well. Matisse had a couple shots. Simmons is excellent for the most part. Um, but, like, Embiid, it, he's not as nearly as imposing on defense. There's no, they have no real plan to work him into anything on offense. There's like, okay, now we have the Embiid Corkmaz two man game. Okay. Um, but Embiid looks just really bad. And if he, if it's because he came back too early, then fucking sit him. Um, it's that's the most concerning thing. Where it's like, all right, the guys on the fringes, these kinds of fits, whatever. I'm sure it's part of it, but Embiid needs to look like one of the ten best two-way players players in basketball on any given night, and he hasn't most of the time this season. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. That's, that, there were there were three key things that stuck out to me in the first two or three weeks of this season that made me dubious that they could win a, a championship and that this particular team could win a championship this year. And and two of them are solvable in in a personnel type way. We'll talk about the trade deadline. Um, but and, and there's one, there's a new one that I didn't expect that I had not mentioned. But the three things were lack of shooting, lack of perimeter creation, and neither Ben Simmons nor Joel Embiid looked like they had a, improved in a way that they could be the best player on a championship team, right? And and that third thing, and the, the fourth thing is is the thing that you just outlined is that they they don't look connected. They don't consistently give effort. And for a team who's and, and all this bully ball thing came from one quote from Brett Brown in the preseason that they were going to play bully ball defense. And I forget what the offense thing he said was. But if bullies like it, just let you get to your spots and sort of pleasantly wave at you yeah. as you take wide open <laughs> shots, then that's yeah, bully ball for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. And they're neither thing. They're not. They're neither imposing offensively or bullies on defense. Neither of those things are regular enough for it to happen. Like it, that. That Bucks win was nice, but it it probably had as much to do with them shooting an outlandish percentage from three than than anything else. Then certainly more than bullying anyone. But but to your your point about Embiid, that is that is the uns the unsolvable with personnel. Well, 
I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's maybe slightly solvable with personnel. If they have the right personnel in there, those two guys probably look better. But to the to your point, when you think of the the best five or six players in the NBA, they just don't have as many games like this <laughs> where where you're looking and you're going, hey, what the fuck is going on here? And if it's if it if it was he is not ready to come back. Let's say it's that, even though you can't blame the first two months of, of this happening on that. If it's him not ready to come back, then why did you come back? Like, what was it that you came back for? At what point does does he or the team say it is right for him to come back? Because if the reason you came back was so you could participate in the Kobe game or whatever, then that is fucking stupid. If the reason that you came back was because you were... Un, un, not thrilled with the fact that the media narrative had turned into, even though the team only played fine, they didn't play great, they played fine. If the media narrative had turned into, well, maybe it should be Ben Simmons's team, then that's a fucking dumb reason too. And if, if the reason that you came back was because it is um, like, uh, because you just, you, you were impatient, then that's dumb too. And I, I so I, I can't even, there's no excuse, right? There's no, there's no real excuse. We're not at the end of the season. The team was not falling apart without him. So if it's just that he came back too early, there's no excuse for that. And if it's something else, if it's this malaise that he has had the entire year, which people want to bring up basketball reference numbers and point to and say, look, he's the same exact player, that's fine if you don't watch the games. But if you watch the games, you can see that there is something wrong or, or he is not into it or there is something wrong. And he is not this sort of... Again, they, they can get through some rounds in the playoffs with this. But if we're talking about a championship, he is not a, a best player on championship team level this year. He's just not. He's not even close. Think about who those players are and ask yourself if he's in their class and he's not in their class. And Ben Simmons, who has improved, is not in their class either. As good as he is, he's not in their class either. And winning a championship without one of those guys is like borderline impossible. Yeah, I agree with all that. Yeah. The frustrating so, thing watching them is like whether it's even more apparent when Josh is there, like having their five best players on the court at the same time, they should be impossible to stop and impossible to score against. But what ends up happening is like because they all are good and think of themselves as good and it, it just becomes like a, okay, everybody gets their touches. And you're just like, all right, this is Tobias's turn, and it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. it becomes the Tobias possession. Okay, this is the Embiid turn; it's his possession. And there's just no fluidity, there's no togetherness. It is, uh, I don't know if it's something that can be solved this season, or if if it is just a matter of intensity. But like, if they're, I mean, everyone should be concerned. If they're not concerned, if they're still saying like, yeah, the regular season is like the preseason, like we're going to be fine. They're going to be, they're not going to host a playoff series. They're not going to. They're they might not be the sixth seed. Maybe they get to five. Maybe they get to four. Sure, but like that's that's like they're not they're not, definitely not hosting two playoff series. They're not they're not capable of it. They they don't give a shit enough, and they're not uh, effortlessly good enough. They have to try all the time, and that, they have no identity. Their their identity is sloppiness. 
They're, they are two and a half games out of the four, and, four slash three. I think they're tied. And then they're four games out of the two, which is a lot of games for a team that Toronto seems to keep winning no matter who is healthy and who isn't healthy. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I agree with you. It, the, one playoff series seems, and we're talking about, I, I'm a week away from thinking behind us, from thinking that. I, I still think they, they have a reasonable chance at the two seed, but I don't, I don't think that at all now. Well, so, Some quotes. So, I mean, like, they, they did take the season series from Boston 3-1, and it, was, mm-hmm. it stood to reason that even without Kemba, honestly especially without Kemba, because anytime anybody's good player is out, the Sixers are losing this game. Um, but even without it, like, Boston was like, we're going to win this game. We're at home. It's Horford's first game in Boston. Like, we're, we're not losing this game. And you could tell that they played with that level of intensity. Jalen Brown was very good. They just had a bunch of... That a bunch of good things happen. Some shots they hit are like, all right, whatever, and some shots we missed are like probably not going to be the case all the time, including layups and easy easy ones. It, but still, there's too many times this season when this team just does not show up. It just like does not show up at all. And I don't know. We have not seen a sense of, like, what's a game where... They're not shooting well from three, but their defense intensity is high. They're getting to where they want on offense. They're getting shots inside. They're getting to the line. And they win even on not a good shooting night like across the board. I think maybe that happened early on in the season. It hasn't happened in a long time. If their threes are going in, it's like, okay, yeah, they look good, and that happens. But that happens less than 50% of the time that they're hot from three. And so they have not proven the ability to have enough intensity over the course of a full game to put good teams away. And in the playoffs, like just having that level of consistency, consistency, I just, I don't see how they're going to do that throughout. Maybe a couple games. It's like, yeah, this is the team we thought they were. And then they're going to fall flat on their dicks and we're having to watch it. A couple of quotes from after the game. First of all, Joel Embiid did not talk to the media after the game, which is whatever. I, I guess you don't have to do it all the time, but it, whatever. I mean, one of uh, 11 bad turnovers. Yeah. Five, one defensive rebound. And, 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 team and by the way, out. it's just, it's, it's a, such a frustrating team. Why do you think, why do you think, before we get to quotes some more, uh, why, do we, why do you think this team is as frustrating as it is? Because I think what they are asked, uh, can, can I say it's like five different things? I, I think, I think the, the, I think starting at the top, I think the personnel does not lead to easy, an easy way of executing anything. I think it makes defense is already hard. It's always effort. Not it, it is execution too, but it you cannot play it without effort. You can't. But their offense takes a ton of effort. I think it's all grueling. I think that starts right at the top. But then the second thing you have to ask yourself is, is this team willing to do the things, and that includes um, compromising the things that you are best at or what you think you're best at for the good of the team? Are they connected enough in a way that they're all willing to do those things to be champions, right? And I do not think that they are. I just, and, and I almost think it's unfair for us to expect that they would be. They, they just met Josh Richardson. 
they just met Al Horford. You know, like what, in what world? Tobias Harris just got here last year. Mike Scott just got here last year. We're not talking about a team that has gone through the wars together over the last three years and said, you know what? We've all tried to do it for ourselves, you know, and we've, we've lost. We've failed. Let's try to do it together. I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to, for one year, we're going to put this aside and we're going to just go for, for everything. They're just, there's no way that they would be connected in that way. So they, they've, they're, I think in a lot of ways, they're set up to fail. They're set up to, and I'm, I'm not releasing responsibility for any of them. It just seems unrealistic to me. This, they are, they are a, uh, again, they're still good. They're still going to win 50 games. I don't know how to talk about this in the right way, but they are, they are an illusion. Like what we thought they would be is an illusion. It doesn't, it doesn't actually exist. It never existed in the first place. And I, I still just don't know how this was supposed to work. I think they will be a good playoff team and they'll be hard to beat. And there's no way they would lose anything in less than six games, you know, to anyone, I don't think. But, um, but I, that's what I think it is. I just think they are a bunch of people who are, they're put together and asked to compromise in a way that they're just not going to compromise. The only guy who I think who has on this team, who uh, amongst the highest paid real players on the team, not the bench pieces, who I think has bought in is probably Josh Richardson, but his role suits him the same. You know, I, I don't know that Josh Richardson ever believed that he was a 28-point scorer and he needs to have the ball every time. He's sort of the perfect thing. But everybody else is making $30 million and is used to playing a certain way or wants to play a certain way, and they're just not, they're not going to do it. I, I, would be, I would be shocked if he would, and we haven't talked about Brett Brown yet, and we should, but I would be shocked if, if he were able to get them to buy in like that you know, at this time. I made a comment a couple of pods ago that I wish Simmons and Embiid were 27 and 29 because it might mean that they were more willing to do it. But I also wish that this team had been together for two or three years to figure themselves out or two years to figure themselves out. But with as little as teams stick together now, the odds of, of that ever happening seems seems pretty slim. Well, this team's so had that, so, that, so many shifting players, just personnel and like... Mm-hmm aside from Simmons and Embiid. And when Simmons and Embiid started, they immediately became good. It was right away. It was like, this is a good team and they need to be good like right now. And there was, there wasn't much, there wasn't much of like a young and exciting, uh, no expectations grace period with this, this team in a way that like it all, it became about expectations like right away. And, um, I, I don't know. I, I, Brett's certainly not blameless in all this. Maybe a new coach comes in, fresh blood, fresh system, like something changes, possibly. Um, the one thing I will say to allow like optimistic Mike in for a second, mm-hmm. if you have to, if, 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 the, if the Sixers before the season said, we're planning for the playoffs, we're built for the playoffs, we have some guys who have a lot of wear and tear on their bodies, uh, Embiid's going to get his rest, Horford's going to get his rest, um, we're going to cycle through some bench players, Josh and Ben and Tobias are all going to take turns, like kind of being the guy here and there. And when we get to the playoffs, like we're going to be ready. We're going to know each other and people will not want to play us in the playoffs. I think that's, that could still be the case. And, and if, if, if they went too heavy on whatever 
if, if inside the locker room it's like, guys, we know the regular season is just a uh, a precursor to what happens in the playoffs, and it doesn't matter what seed we get, we're going to be a tough out no matter what. If, if, if they still believe, I think that's wrong. I don't think that they are handling it well. I don't think that that's how they have to be. But uh, I think if it's like if you play, play hard. And if you're going to sit, sit hard. Like, sit hard, yeah. That's it, this like middle ground that they that they have that's just like lackadaisical and sloppy is is not the way to do it. But if they if the Sixers are still, we know the extra gear we have in the playoffs. This is what we told. This is this is like our team direction that we've all bought into in terms of like getting there. I think they they deserve to be afforded like, you know, I wouldn't cover both of your eyes, but like you can squint and still be like, all right, I'll take, I'll keep, I'll keep an eye on it. Like it's, I won't fully uh, disassociate myself from the idea that that could be possible. That they, that this is just who they are, who they intend to be, and all they care about is getting healthy for the playoffs, and then they'll beat whoever they have to beat. Yeah, I just think if they, if they think. Yeah, and you certainly hedged with this, but yeah. I just think that they, they, they have another thing coming if they think that's what yeah. they're they're gonna do. But if um, but if we had a, a healthy, I mean, who knows? But Embiid's never been healthy for the playoffs. If if the, if that exists, and there's another level, and maybe yeah, yeah I maybe I, I I wouldn't rule it out either, but I wouldn't I wouldn't count on it. Let's put it that way. I would sit it in the in the world somewhere in between not ruling it out and not counting on it. And here's and I, I would assume that you agree. Short break from the pod to talk to you about something even more important than this fucking basketball team. That is Paul Green and the Paul Green Rock Academy, official music school of the process. Mike, I I think I've asked you before. Do you know how to play an instrument? Have you ever taken any instrument lessons? Trombone, baby. All the way through Can, all the way of my learning. Can you can you still play if I put a trombone in front of you? For sure, my dad played oh. and my nephew played. It's a we're a family of boners. <laughs> That's awesome. Have you played like all at the same time, like three trombones at once? No, we don't have we don't have we don't have that many. Oh, I would love to get you guys some trombones. It'd be like less than Jake or something, um, or the Boston's. Um, Paul Green Rock Academy. Paul Green, you know who Paul Green is? School of Rock, all that stuff. Sold the School of Rock, got too corporate, started the Paul Green Rock Academy. If you play an instrument, play, learning to play an instrument, I, I take guitar lessons, is fun. But I just play alone in my office. And the uh, the one time I played with the Paul Green, or I played, I practiced with them once, and then I played with them once. Playing with other people really, it does two things. First of all, it makes it more fun. It makes you better at it. Second of all, it covers up your mistakes. So if you fuck up, you can just keep going rather than starting over, which is what I do in my office. Uh, Paul Green Rock Academy is for kids. That's what he's legendary for. Um, Kids of all experience levels. So there's the master's program and the junior program. The master's program you have to try out for. The junior program for anybody. And an adult program, which is like if you're me or you. Um, and the adult program goes 12 months a year. It started, it was just like in for short runs, and now it goes 12 months a year. Uh, only $125 a month for Ricky listeners, the adult program is. And he has it in Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware, and Philly. 
um, the guy got famous. Literally, there is a movie about him teaching people how to play in bands, and you can do it or your kid can do it. Um, it's awesome. I'm telling you, I had a ton of fun. They're officially, they're also officially the house band for the Blue Coats. So if you ever go to a Blue Coats game, if you came to our game, um, you can see how good they are. They just, they're awesome. They played our live show and they were awesome. They were a highlight of the live show. They were definitely better at what they do than what we do at ours. Um, paulgreenrock.com. Paulgreenrock.com is the place you go to sign up or if you have any other questions. Um, paulgreenrock.com. Back to the Ricky. Here's the, the, the reality on the Brett Brown thing for me. First of all, he's not getting fired before the end of the year. So no. stop it. it no, no. It's just not going to happen. So stop worrying about it. We're too far. If it was going to happen, it would have happened 20 games into the year, not 55 games into the year. The, the second thing is that they're not going to like trade Simmons or Embiid without firing Brett Brown first and trying somebody out. So you can clear your conscience of that. That will never happen. They will never make that sort of, you know, franchise changing move without first firing the coach and and then moving on. And the final thing I would say is that he matters and it matters, but I don't think it matters the most. And I, I just... You know, maybe the end of this year they lose in the second round, and like this de- this energy thing never comes back. And yes, he has he has his part in it, absolutely. And I do think if they fired him tomorrow and brought somebody else in, would there be like a uh oh, we better try harder thing? For sure, but it wouldn't last for more than seven or ten days unless you made a real meaningful change that you put thought behind. You know, that happens with every new coach, but it doesn't last unless the new guy you bring in makes sense. So. I just, it is not that I don't think the coach is uh, is important and worth discussing. I just don't think he's most important and I don't think it's actionable. So I don't know. And I also don't know how to talk about, we can talk about his moves and, and who he's putting where, but as far as the team's motivation, like, you, you can't on one hand say, Joel Embiid isn't trying all the time. That is on Brett Brown. And then in the same sentence or, or the following sentence go, Ben Simmons was was not thought to be a great defender in college and he works his ass off every night on defense and works harder than and plays more minutes than anybody in the league and you can't blame him for one and not credit him for the other so that's why it makes it so puzzling right that's why it makes it so impossible to talk about because for everything that is disappointing you there's something that you're like oh well Furkan Korkmaz is good where'd that come from or or any of those things so I just I don't. I don't even really know how to talk about it in a in a real way that is actionable to make it make sense. And I I would rather just address it after the year, personally. Sure. Because that's what I think they'll do. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, the quotes from after the game, uh, Horford. Um, I've been looking at it, Horford. This came from ESPN. Horford, I've been looking at it, Horford said when asked if he was keeping track of where the Sixers sit in the playoff race. I've been looking at it for sure. We are aware of it. Obviously, we're not where we want to be, but we're definitely looking at it. We were counting on tonight, I thought was like an interesting quote. We were counting on tonight, and we weren't able to get it done. We have a very difficult one going into Miami. All of our focus has to be on that and making up some ground, but it all starts with that Miami game. At what point... Harris asked in response to a question about whether he's concerned about where the Sixers sit, probably 10 games ago. So like, 
those are quotes from veterans who sound like they're like a little worried. Sure. To me, you know. I think I mean I think teams, you know, go through this. I think yeah. the, the Clippers are going through it. Like there's plenty of those kinds of things. Um So I I as much like if if they were like we're fine, we know. We're okay. We're going to get there. Whatever. If they blew it off, which they did kind of earlier in the season, um I'd be annoyed. And so I'm glad that they're recognizing like, yeah, we keep losing and losing in ways that aren't like, you know, these aren't moral losses. These are, for the most part, the losses are like, like you debilitating, like you lost a limb in it. You don't come out of it being like, all right, we're okay. And we played good. And they just hit shots, blah, blah, blah. Like Boston didn't hit shots. They didn't, they weren't shooting excellent from outside. Yeah. No, not at all. It was just like, and there's too many games like this where it's just, they get wherever they want. Too many possessions where it's just like walk. A guy walks to the rim. The offense just disappears for a quarter. It's we. we I mean, this is what it is. We know. We know there. Yeah. Uh, the uh, only because I I found it a little humorous. The Willie Green Apple Podcast five star review before we get to Matisse Thibel, which I want to talk about the Rising Stars game, and then before we get to Sixers Adam, the Willie Green Apple Podcast five star review. We're at two thousand six hundred thirty one on the way to three thousand. You know, your bonus if we get to three thousand is that I will do a podcast reading all of the reviews, which is I've done two of them so far, and they are the worst things I've ever been involved with. This one comes from seventy sixer fan, really just a uh, a creative name. Would it be too much to have a segment on the pod dedicated to where I could find the best pretzel water? Ever since Tony T introduced me to it, I've been searching all over Arizona, and for the most part, I've come up dry. For the most part, he's come up dry. Uh, The Ricky is the best thing about this joyless season to keep up the great work from Thirsty in Arizona. So there we go. Uh, Yeah. Um, Also an Apple podcast review this week that called me a racist. So... (laughs) D- different different angles. Running the gamut. Yep. Uh, so Matisse, so just in the in the uh, in the we're gonna jinx it. More specifically, I'm gonna jinx it category. I said Howell Neto would we would never have the Howell Neto game, and the next game we had the Howell Neto game. In the last pod, someone asked what happens if Zion makes the Rising Stars game and Thibel doesn't. Is Zion an enemy? And I think we both, I will take credit for it, but I believe that we both sort of laughed it off and said Thibel will definitely be in the Rising Stars game. You agreed, right? I know I said it, but I think you agreed. Yeah. So Matisse Thibel doesn't make the Rising Stars game. His quote, uh, the quote from his agent, Eric Goodwin, Matisse plays to win. He does what his team needs of him. He's happy for every player that made the Rising Stars game, but I would be lying if I didn't say he was pretty disappointed. He's one of the league's top defenders and is amongst the league leaders in steals and blocks from the guard position. Sad reminder that defense no longer has substance in the new NBA. Shame on the league's assistant coaches. Assistant coaches with ass capitalized. (laughs) A-S-S. So... There's this, and then did if you there's see... there's one thing that always works in quotes, it's wordplay. Yeah. <laughs> did you see the video from Jackson Hayes? Uh, no. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yes, Jackson Hayes, yes, I did. That was great. Oh I, my I did love it. 
So Jackson Hayes doesn't make the Rising Stars game, and he does what I, be- I guess was an Instagram story or something, a video, and he's basically go- saying, like, fuck the NBA. <laughs> it was – he really said that, I think. Yeah, it was, it was like the NBA can fuck itself for all I care or something like that. Yeah. It was wild. Really good. Really, really, really good. Wild. And, then, and I, I know you don't watch much college, but, like, Jackson Hayes – was is like a calm guy. It's like this is not the out the guy you expected this kind of outburst from. Uh, it is so much so that he had to. He didn't he I, he put out an apology. You know, apologizing to the organization, to the fans. Hold on, I actually I feel like I gotta play this Jackson Hayes thing. Let me find it. Hold on, um, I gotta play the audio for anybody who's not super online. So they could hear it. Oh man, where is it? It was Jackson Hayes, right? Yeah. The Hold on. Pelicans backup center. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, there who, were three Charlotte Hornets on the on the USA team. Three. Oh right. Who made it? Well, Devontae Graham, great. He's right. he's been very good. PJ Washington, okay. Yeah, he's been very good. Miles Bridges, he's horrendous. He's yeah. absolutely <laughs> terrible. And <laughs> He's, I mean, he's like, yeah, he's really bad. He's like half of Covington without the defense. Okay, so I have the Jackson Hayes video, which is almost worse than I thought it was. Um, Hold on, let's wait till this restarts so I can play it. Oh my god. Stay on the subject, bro, because all y'all want to keep sliding up and shit and saying, no, you should have made it. Yeah, I should have, bro, but I didn't. So, I mean, it is what it is. NBA is a bunch of bullshit. The NBA can really suck my dick for all I care. I hope y'all see this video, by the way, and find me. But, um, yeah, man, shit's just crazy to me, bro. But I work in a fucking political league that's all about politics, and it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the the political implications of this? I mean, unless he's talking specifically about Zion, which makes sense. If he's like, like, I've been playing the whole season and this guy's been playing four games, but sure. (laughs) But like, what's the political implications of Miles Bridges coming in? That's what I was going to say. It's not like they only picked players from the Knicks and the the Lakers and the, the, there were three, three players on the Hornets that made it. The NBA can suck my dick. Like, Pretty good. <laughs> um, and then uh, Al Horford said yesterday, this is per Serena Winters, about Matisse Thibault not making it. Um, he said, Matisse is part of a winning team and having a real impact. And quote, what are we rewarding if we're not recognizing defense? He deserves to be there. Bigger question is, at what point did the Rising Stars game become something to get mad about well for I, I, me this, forever okay <laughs> but i'm surprised that other people have reached my level of taking this as seriously as i do oh my god Although i was i you know i'm fine with matisse not making it honestly he's you know i in the moment i was pissed and thinking about it but looking at it i'm just like it's maybe it's because of the boston game and him just letting jalen brown work him so much uh he he has nice actionable moments on defense He's a, a, a developing into an offensive player that I think can be really good on on both ends, but he's not doing. Is, is he doing? Is he the best defensive rookie in a long time? Sure, but is it's in in how many minutes he's playing and how what his role is? I I'm 
I'm fine with him not making it. And maybe it's the kick in the ass that somebody needs. Who the, this team needs multiple kicks in the ass. So if Matisse not making the Stars game, they can do like an up against us against the world thing. Sure. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't even make it. More biscuits, motherfucker. That's, that's right. Go to. Yeah. Uh, before we're going to have Adam in a few minutes. I, I had some other notes I wanted to go to some smaller notes. Uh, have you seen that Shake Milton? And I looked up the story on it, which is very funny. Shake Milton has a kiss tattoo, the, the band kiss on the inside of his arm. Yeah. Okay. So he said it is definitely the logo for kiss a, a million percent. He said it has nothing to do with the band, but more of a reminder for keep it simple, stupid. And I thought that I, I think the quote I saw was, but shout out to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> it almost makes me I hate kiss as a band, but it almost makes me want to get a kiss tattoo because I think that's funny or get a tattoo of a band and find an alternate explanation of why I have the tattoo. Mm-hmm. Panic at the Disco. I just uh, remember that time that I did, in fact, I was at Disco and I was... Panic at the Disco. But shout out to the band. Yeah. Uh, A couple of Horford nights, uh, Horford notes from last night as well that I thought we should address. The first, and it only happened once because maybe they, they realized it was wrong when they did it. I only noticed it once or twice. But the Celtics fans booed Al Horford every time he touched the ball last night. Is this something that we... sure it was Celtics fans and not Sixers fans? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's possible. Someone did. I, I tweeted about it. Someone did tweet at me. We should be doing that in Philadelphia. Uh, is is that is that something that we respect that they did? Or I part of me has to think. I guess we would do something like that. Yeah. So I mean, if you know, if, yes. <laughs> if, yeah. If okay. one of our best players for four or five years went to Boston. <laughs> Yeah. I think that a lot of the p- people would be upset. And then uh, second Horford note, Anna Horford, who guested on this podcast. And I think we can look. She was a great guest. She was a lot of fun. Anna Horford. Thank you, Anna, for coming on. I, th- I think we could tell when we had her on there and she has made the implication before that she wants to stay in both camps, Boston and Philadelphia. Yeah. But if you look at her her Twitter from last night and she was wearing a, a, a Sixers Horford jersey. It does seem like she f- really fucking likes Boston a lot. Like she can like whoever she wants. It's, it's her own life. But you know, if I'm Al Horford, I'm just, I'm not showing her the playbook, I guess is, is all that I'm saying. That's fair. I, I, you know, uh, I find it pretty unacceptable. Um, you can like a city without liking the team. I'm not, you can have your favorite restaurants in Boston. You can like humans individually. But I think we're veering into like, uh, you know, a turncoat style uh, fandom. And that's not something we can abide as, as, as delightful as she was on the podcast. We get, you don't have to pick a side. Wow. Are we... Uh, I mean, we're not at the place where we... Would you ban her? It's pretty close. Would you? It's pretty close. You know, wow. Okay. All right. Well, well, we'll have to ask for feedback on that. And then before we get to Sixers, Adam, a uh, final thing, John Hollinger, former, the guy who invented PER and then now has, and then worked for the Memphis Grizzlies for a bunch of years and now works for the athletic who doesn't pay us. And the, um, 
and does a podcast with Nate Duncan, who does another podcast with another guy. And I think we banned Nate Duncan at one point. I know we'd ban the other guy who's on his podcast, but John Hollinger does a podcast with Nate Duncan and they were talking about trades. Uh, two Ricky listeners pointed it out. So I went back and listened and it's about at the one hour mark of Thursday's podcast with Nate Duncan and John Hollinger. And they were talking about the trade deadline. Most of the podcast is about the trade deadline and trades. And they start joking about trades for players who will never play in the uh, in the NBA. And John Hollinger, out of, like, they're talking about some other player. John Hollinger loudly goes, look, I traded for the rights to Ricky Sanchez. And there's a pause and a chuckle, and then they move on. So I would like to, is this a case where we thank John Hollinger for saying the name because he was obviously making a reference? Or do we do we criticize him for not going far enough and saying, following it, love those guys, LOL? I don't know. Your call. <laughs> hmm. I mean, he, um, he was an NBA executive. He invented PER. And he believes, and this is where I'm going to give him credit, he believes that we are well-known enough for him to make the joke without even referencing, without even saying exactly what it is for enough people to get it. I'm going to go ahead and thank him for doing it. All right. I can abide. You good with that? Yeah. All right, good. Um, as we wait for Adam to sign on, I haven't seen Adam. Um, let's just, let's go to mailbag. Uh, I, I texted Adam and told him to sign on. So he'll be on soon. Sixers Adam. Fucking love Sixers Adam. He wrote... Did you see the fucking giant column he wrote this week in normal column? Every Sixers trade target that is $5 million or more, and he's going to write the, the companion column this week for less than $5 million. Huge column from Sixers, Adam. Huge but normal. First mi- huge but normal. A normally huge trade column. Um, first mailbag question. You can send our mailbag, your mailbag questions to writesrickysanchez at gmail.com. This is from Perry. Why aren't we talking about the job Elton has done? A lot of the focus this season has been on Brett and the players, but what if this all falls on EB for not being able to put a team together? Brett is a cook, is the cook, but EB bought the ingredients. Your comment. I mean, I think we have. I think it's hard to... I mean, I'm sure... Like, imagining a conversation with the coaching staff and the front office is probably like, hey, you guys didn't get us the right guys. And mm-hmm. and Elton or the front office being like, you're not playing them in the correct way or the way we envisioned. I'm sure that's a conversation between many front offices in, in all sports. Um, so I think it's you can't talk about the coaching staff without talking about the front office. I think the team is certainly talent wise. The team is capable of winning a championship. They should be. Um, so I I as as clunky as it is. Sometimes, um, when, with just the five of them, I guess, uh, I still think that it's more on, I would say it's more on the coaching staff, the way I look at it. Coaching staff and the players, I would say. Um, because you I can, don't because agree. You, because you can play the, the starting lineup if, if, like, starting, if, for whatever reason, starting is, a, is important to everybody, which, fine. Um, well, they're human. Yeah. I mean, I would, you know. Then play them five minutes. 
and don't play him as a starting lineup again until the end of the game or or never. So, you know, if, if it is just this mix, if you say, like, Horford shouldn't be playing a ton of minutes at the power forward next to Embiid, then get Korkmaz or Ennis or whatever guy in there for most of the game or in crunch time when you need another... Like, that's not... The five of them is not the only problem, you know? So I, I think the coaching staff has to has to figure out a way to blend this and then the guys need to buy in to playing together. Yeah, I, I guess I would say that I don't know if the question is why don't we name Elton specifically or why don't we talk about the front office? I've talked about the front office a trillion times. I'm not even sure how to address the question that I haven't brought the front office. I think it's, if, if you're saying Elton specifically, I just don't believe, and I've said this a million times, I don't believe that he is making decisions unilaterally. And I think it is more, <clears throat> when have you ever heard uh, an organization talk about um, what was the word they used? Collaboration, the way that this team did in terms of building a front office. I just don't think it's just him. So I, I say the front office in place of Elton. And that's not me trying to protect Elton at all. It's just that's the way that I think that it is. Before we get to Sixers Adam and his trade machine, let's talk about the sponsor of Normal Column and Sixers Adam. That is Adam Kasabi, the process realtor. Mike, even though uh, Adam is a young, young, young man, he really needs to start planning for his future. Um, do you plan for your future? Are you a future planner? Uh, yes, I would say I am. Well, a, a good way to plan for your future, you know, everyone wants to save for retirement, but a good way is to stop, you know, wasting money on renting a shore house and just buy one, and that way you can go to it and you can uh, rent it to other people and they can basically pay for it. And then in like 25 years, you can sell it and there's you know part of your retirement or you can just live there. And uh, a smart thing to do is instead of doing that in New Jersey, you should do it in Delaware. And that's where Adam Kasabi comes in, the official realtor of the process. He is a Delaware realtor who focuses on the Delaware beaches where there are a million reasons to go rather than the Jersey ones. I know you probably grew up did you grow up going down the shore? Are you, were you a shore guy? Uh, sometimes. I didn't have I had friends that had places, but I uh, went sometimes, yeah. We, we never went anywhere. Like, my dad would get, like, five nights in a hotel in Atlantic City. It was, it was like, the, the worst Jersey Shore experience ever. Um, my wife went to Ocean City. Uh, here's the thing, though. I went to Ocean City the first time. I was like, this is kind of fun, but, boy, there's a, way too many people here. Way too many people. So Delaware has everything that the Jersey Shore has, but it is cheaper and it is less crowded. Uh, and cheaper, I say, in, the, in terms of like taxes. A, let's say a $300,000 home in Rehoboth has about $1,000 in annual property taxes, and you'll make about $25,000 a year in rental income. Same price house in the Jersey Shore will cost you between five dollars and $10,000 annually in taxes. So if you're renting it out for the same thing, that's about, you know, uh, $9,000 less than you're going to make in a year. And now is a good time to do it because interest rates are low. And like the banks, they decide on how much they're going to lend you based on what the monthly payment is. So let's say you want to make a $1,500 monthly payment. If it's 4% interest rate, you're going to get a house that's worth $315,000. If it's 6%, that house, you're only going to get a house that's worth $250,000. So there's four main beaches in Delaware, Rehoboth, um, 
Rehoboth, which I think is probably closest to a combination of Avalon and Ocean City, if I'm comparing them. Uh, Lewis, which I don't think has a comparison in the Jersey Shore, which is awesome, which was my favorite. Dewey, which is uh, definitely for the, the younger folks. And, uh, and Bethany, Adam's your guy, wherever you want to go. And even if you just want to rent it out once, try it out, he can help you with that too. Call him or text him. Plan for your future. Stop wasting money on rentals and just like have other people pay for your vacation and your future. Call or text Adam at 302-264-8643, 302-264-8643, or go to processrealtor.com. All right, enough of that, Adam. And now on to the, uh, the Sixers, Adam, the young Adam. Sixers Adam. Hi, I'm here. There he is. Just normal and Sixers Adaming. Adaming. We were, before you signed on, we were were talking about how long and normal your column was this week on the Sixers trade targets who make $5 million or more. Great job on that. Thank you. Thank you. It was a normally sized column. So what do you do when the trade deadline is at 3 p.m.? Are you in history class or something when that happens? Like, um, I mean, yeah. I, like, I've been schooled when, when all that stuff is happening. Are you legitimately still that. in high school? He is. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, sneak looking at my phone during classes. Don't do that. Learn. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. I got it to the schools I need to get it to. I can. I can look at my phone during the trade deadline. Okay. We have a prodigy here, Mike. I've, Mike, I'm this is why. This. this is why I say, Sixers Adam is not legally allowed. Well, legally is the wrong word, but not officially allowed to cover the Sixers in the building, as he had his press pass. Um, the rules state as such. He had to have his press pass removed. But this spring he will be legally allowed to cover it. So I do feel like we have to have some sort of enormous party when Sixers Adam can show up there with ID in hand, <laughs> get past the bouncer that the Sixers have at the locker room and be able to get in. Did um, Was Jake Pavorsky covering the Sixers when he was in high school? So when I met Jake, he was not even driving. So he was writing for Liberty Ballers, I believe, Jake, when he was 15. Oh, wow. That's probably my yeah. fault then. That, yeah. that, is, that, is, that is how old I was when I got hired by Liberty Ballers. Wow. It's unreal. Have you met right. Jake? Have you and Jake met? Uh, no, we've talked a few times, but we have not met in person. Wow. What a nice play, are you from, like, what the, a nice play are date you from that this, would be. <laughs> Aren't you from the G- same general area? Like you, yeah. your families yeah, know our, each other. Yeah, our families right? actually know each other. My sister is about Jake's age, and and they used to like be friendly when they were little kids. Wow, it's all connected. <laughs> this is so I didn't wild. realize I was participating in this kind of nepotism. Yep, yep. Um, all right, so Sixers Adam loves loves trades. I would say it is a specialty. So the Sixers Adam trade machine comes in and he's going to propose trade. Uh, how many do you have? Do you have two? Uh, two or three, however many you guys want. Ah, we can do it. Give us the first trade, the trade machine trade. Now the Sixers Adam trade machine trade does work in terms of salary. So we're guaranteed as that. And then Mike and I have to judge whether we do it. Um, Adam first trade. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to start from the least interesting and work my way up. So okay. first, um, a trade with the Kings, Mike Scott, and the OKC pick that the Sixers have 
for Enemy of the Process, Nemanja Bielica. Wow. Um, so that OKC oh pick, just as a reminder, that is top 20 protected this year. Um, if it doesn't convey, it becomes two seconds in 22 and 23. Um, and they're one game out of, of number 21 right now. So, yeah. Uh, it seems still unlikely just because, you know, they're chasing teams like Houston and Indiana and even the Sixers, who they probably won't catch, especially if they sell at the deadline. But it's possible. Um, Bielitsa is having a great year. I think he's seventh or eighth in the league in three-point percentage. He's shooting like 43.5% on, on pretty high volume. Um, he's getting assists, rebounding the ball well, playing good defense. Um, and his contract is non-guaranteed for next year. So if, it, if things don't go well, you could kind of just cut bait if you need to. Um, but with the way he's playing right now at about $7 million next year, it would be a plus-value contract. It definitely appeals to me to force Bielitsa to be in Philadelphia. To play here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and Bielitsa has to come on the Ricky to apologize. Oh, that, and, and I, if that being a specific term of the trade, I like that you can do that per, per the CBA. Uh, I'll, I, will, I will say yes. I will say absolutely yes. Let's make this trade. Have you heard somebody, look, I don't know anything about the world, so let me just throw that out there. I have no idea. But where is Bielica from? Is he from Serbia? Uh, Bielica is yeah. from, yeah, Serbia. Okay. And where is Dario from? Dario is from Croatia. So it, it is my understanding that it, the Serbians and the Croatians do not like each other, correct? I believe this is true. He hasn't even okay. finished history class, Spike, and you're asking him to <laughs> comment well, on he's, fucking he's, world political look, intrigue. Mike, <laughs> when when have you known more about history other than when you're actually in high school? Well, he's not in high school. He's in the trade machine. Okay, right, right, right. Okay, so someone mentioned to me, though I had never heard this before, I had heard that it was mostly because of the, the getting a better contract. And I forgive whoever mentioned this to me, and I will give credit if it's due the next pod if they mention it to me. But somebody mentioned to me that the reason that Bielica did not decided not to sign with the Sixers was because he would not play with Dario. Oh, I never heard that. Well, the the only thing is, like, why would he have agreed to a contract before? Maybe his agent did. Did he just forget that he would, Dario was there? But if it's yeah, something, maybe, that, if it's something that's that important, like. I feel like, like I have no would idea. that be considered a prerequisite to that kind <laughs> no, of no, Cro- no Croatians on the team? No Croats. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I always told um, you I wouldn't play with any Croats. <laughs> I, would, I would make that trade because there's no way that pick is first round. There's no way. I, look, I, I was thinking about it yesterday. The first thing I was going to say is there's no way Presti would let it happen. But also, everyone from the, who was watching the Clippers last year assumed that they were going to tank to make sure that they got their pick and they did not. So I think they're, I don't think it's, it's going to be close. Even if they wanted two games. Yeah. I'm rooting harder for the thunder now that I am, than I am for the Sixers. Um, (laughs) I'm watching a lot of, I'm only watching thunder and Pelican spike. I think you should know that. Um, (laughs) And so I I think there's a chance of it happening, but I would like to be like relieved of, of this burden of, uh, of, you know, Tankathon, just this fucking perfectly placed top 20 pick. It's like a Vegas line of like, what if, if, if the lottery <laughs> protects, we'd be feeling so good right now. 
but it's not. Yeah, it's top twenty nope. protected. It has to be j- just that perfect amount of frustrating, uh, just out of our reach. But I would do this trade. Mike Scott has been terrible lately. Uh, Bielita makes quick decisions with the ball. Better shooter. Fine on defense. Uh, I'm good with it. Um, I would I would do it mostly because the Sixers have plenty of seconds. One point I've made over the last week or so is that because I believe the Sixers need a more major personnel move in the offseason is that I want to have everything I can going into the offseason. But they have plenty of seconds. Um, I think it does upgrade them. I would say yes. Sixers, Adam, would you do it? Yeah, I would. Bielitz has been really good this year, and that would be a huge upgrade. Wow. Right in Zainab's face. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully she's not listening. Um, all right. Second trade. Ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Another one with the Kings, actually. Um, but this time for Bogdan Bogdanovich, who I think we've all kind of thought about as, like, in theory, the perfect guy, but not sure if they have enough to get him. So this package would be Zaire, Furkan, Bolden, the Hawks second, and a 2022 first. And I know that sounds like a lot because it's five assets, but Slop. Uh, I think a lot of people think that well. Bogdan would be kind of an ideal fit here, and this is kind of all they have to offer, really. Um, I mean, the Kings you know, aren't that interested in Mike Scott unless they're getting a pick like in the Bielitsa deal. Um, something like this. Korkmaz is obviously a good shooter. He's on a non-guaranteed minimum for next year, which is valuable for them. Uh, who knows what they think of Zaire? Nobody seems to really understand what his value is right now, other than that it's probably low. Um, and then you, you use one of the valued seconds and, and a first. I would not, unless there was a... There's no way they're keeping Bogdanovich unless they trade Richardson. And that's possible, I guess. But they would have to pay Bogdanovich next year. And I know he's restricted, but he's, somebody's going to pay him $16 million a year, $20 million a year, mm-hmm. something like that. I, I don't think—I think he would improve the team, but I don't think he fixes what is wrong with it, and it costs a little too much for me. So I would not do it. I would I would counter with what if you could pay Bogdanovich, keep Richardson, and you salary dump Horford. Well, but how? Is that well? There, there. How, are, how are we doing with, that? With what? With I mean, there are going to be teams with space who who strike out on a free agent. I mean, even somebody like Atlanta who needs a center. If they don't sign whoever their plan A is, maybe they just say, okay, we'll take the last two or three years of the Horford contract. I think it's but you, it, they're not idiots, right? So they're going to make you pay with something to get it done. They're not just going to take him. So you've just traded a first-round pick, Zaire Smith, a second-round pick. You've just traded, you know, like th- three of your top five tradable assets. Then that's if you're including Matisse Thibel, which I know nobody would want to. I the the salary dump of Horford, I think, is a dream scenario and i think you're going to need assets to get rid of it so i i still would not i think there is Mike? a chance that you that they would see bogdan as a, as a longer term fit than josh and mm-hmm. that you can sign him this year for however much more josh gets you so maybe that would be the the easier trade um yeah it's tough i think uh because is has been good 
Oh, I forgot Corkmus too, and he's important. The, yeah, yeah. It's, then it's, no, absolutely not. I would not. It's like you're upgrading on Corkmus for sure because uh, Bogdan can handle and pass, Create. and yeah. uh, it's probably a maybe a little bit better defensively. But I, I don't know if that's actually true. Um, and he's expiring. Plus, you're adding uh, Zaire to the table, which at his lowest value, um, plus picks. I. As much as I would like Bogdan here, and I think that there could be a, you could lose Josh and then and then have Bogdan as a more uh, fittable, um, like running the second unit and also playing off ball with Ben. Um, I I think there's it's 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 a lot of trickery and movery, and I don't I don't know that it's worth doing all that for maybe half a season. I want, I want to send a, a shout to Zach, who emailed us about the idea of trading Zaire. And I know David Murphy wrote something about it. The, here is the, the, the realistic thing with trading Zaire is, sure, you would love to keep all guys like this because he's not even close to whatever he will be, but it costs something to get something. So it's just a real value judgment you have to make. I'm not as low on Zaire as, um, as maybe I've seen. I'm, I'm not low on him at all. I'm just, for right now, he doesn't, he doesn't do anything for them. Totally. So uh, it, it's a question of how close you think they are to winning a championship. But they got to stop drafting these guys that are raw and then trading them before they... Like right. get there. It's well, just consistent un- unless unless they get you somebody that you believe helps you can win a championship. Right sure, now. I just don't think that yeah. you know Zaire's. You know they they did. Zaire was like a guy that they were so excited about having, and they uh, the Miles Bridge, the Mikael Bridges trade was great, and they, they had him top of the whatever it was, and so then was like, hey, he had this you know hideous thing happen to him last year. And now he's played so little basketball, we should all know that this is what he would look like. And so it's like, there, it, it's just, it would be frustrating to me. Obviously, if you win championship, it's all moot, but it'd be frustrating to me to draft a guy that is raw, have him be out for the year, and then be like, hey, he's raw, and trade him at like the lowest value still. Of, you know, I, I think they maybe corrected that with Matisse in terms of like, hey, let's get a guy who can con- contribute really well on one end of the court right now. But um, it would still—it feels like over the last five or whatever years, the Sixers have just done that too much. And I, if they're going to trade Zaire for for like value, I just don't—I don't. Obviously, we don't know what his value is around the league, but I feel like it's lower than it would be, you know, coming out of the draft or when he actually gets good. You know. Yeah. Would you do it, uh, Sixers, Adam? Uh, I think if you had a, reason, a reasonable amount of optimism that you could either come up with a good deal for Richardson or dump Horford, I would. If they're skeptical about that, I would probably lead no. Uh, I, w- I want to let everyone know that before Sixers Adam gets to his third trade, he will be forced to participate in the jigsaw afterwards. There were a lot of people disappointed that he didn't do it last time. Including um, me, by the way. I wanted well, to I, was, I, was un- I was under the impression that legally, <laughs> legally, we were not allowed to give the jigsaw to somebody under voting age. Um, and so legally, I did not believe, but I did check with uh, the rights to Ricky Sanchez um, legal department, which is headed up by Cornblow, obviously. And legally, I can give you the jigsaw as long as there's no bad words in it. So <laughs> that will be coming up after the third trade. Okay. All right. All third right. trade. Um, this one, I'm not sure if it's exactly realistic just because both teams are kind of in weird spots, but Josh Richardson for Spencer Dinwiddie. 
I feel like it kind of makes sense. For oh, yes. Teams I would do it in it. a second. Yeah, uh, I, I thought about this trade already. Yeah, I love Richardson, and I think he's probably a little bit better of a player than Dinwiddie, but Dinwiddie would add so much to of what this team needs with his shot-making and his creation ability. And I think that Richardson makes more sense for Brooklyn long-term, maybe not this year, but next year when they have Kyrie and Durant back, it might make more sense to have somebody who impacts the game in ways other than having the ball. So I, I do think that long-term this might be uh, making that kind of swap would be an ideal fit for both guys. That's really interesting. I've I've long been a Spencer Dinwiddie guy. Um, I do like Josh a lot, but skill set wise, Dinwiddie would be very very nice here. Um, and he's on a longer deal. He has three years left on his deal, for right? Sure. Uh, well, the the third year is a player option that he'll probably. Uh, so two so years it's, really. It's, they basically have the same exact contract. Okay. Yeah, I, I would I would probably do it. I would probably do it. I love that he's pissed off now, too, that dipshit Kyrie made a move to the bench. Yeah. Well, did Kyrie get hurt for real last night? Yeah, he's he's going to be reevaluated in one week. Brad Beal, like, landed on his leg and bent it the wrong way. Mm. Oh, yikes. Yeah, yeah I, lo- I love Dinwiddie, man. And uh, shout-out to Rich Hoffman for, uh, for linking to an old uh, Liberty Ballers piece about... Uh, 2014 draft prospects that made me go down the memory the memory hole and uh, and look at some people. Uh, Dinwiddie's great. I've always loved him, and I would love to have a guy who can operate the pick and roll, get to the rim. Uh, he yells at the refs too much, and that's kind of annoying. But uh, all the time. Yeah, but uh, and he's he's like he's stubborn in a in a way that. I both respect and uh, would be a little scared of in terms of like all the personalities in this team, and Josh does fit personality-wise really well. Um, but I think that, that there's a lot of a lot of value in 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 Dinwiddie being here. I love, I like my favorite Nets uh, are. I've only have two favorite Nets in order: are Karis Levert number one and Spencer Dinwiddie number two. But Levert is hurt all the time, and uh, Dinwiddie, I think is a better Levert gets to the rim and is a, a good creator for himself. I don't know if he's as good a creator as he is for others as Dinwiddie. I would take Dinwiddie first. But to your point about his attitude, this team needs one fucking guy who who is like that. They just do. They they need a guy who who like has a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> this all sounds but it's true. They need a guy who has a chip on his shoulder, who's pissed off that people didn't respect him and is sure that he can um get points when they need him to. And I we like you just look in the eyes of every player on this team and the eyes plus skill set, nobody has that. And give me God bless everybody on this team, but give me in the last two minutes of an important game Give me Spencer Dinwiddie with the ball over every Sixer with the ball. I will take it. Yeah. Give me Spencer Dinwiddie. Because then if you're the Nets next year, then you go Kyrie, Joe Harris, Josh, yeah, it's a Durant, good, yeah, Jared right. Allen. With and like, I think that makes more sense than, than Dinwiddie there. Right. Just with, because yeah. with Levert you have enough shot creation. Levert is a sixth man. I like that. I would be weird to uh, do we, a deal with the team that close to us, but it, maybe they... There's, they're going to make the playoffs, but maybe they're like, we're not, you know, we're not worried about, I don't know. I, it, maybe it's more of an off-season trade, but I, I do like it. And you, Sixers Adam, I assume you'd do yeah. it? Yeah, I would do it. Yeah. yeah. All right, Sixers Adam, are you prepared for the first ever jigsaw given to a minor? I'm prepared. 
play. I will play this game. Game play. I will play this game. I miss you. I will play this game. I I'm worried. Play. I will play this game. And after the game, they were interviewing him, and they said, how does it feel to win the ultimate game? And he said, if it's the ultimate game, why are they playing it again next year? Here we are. Uh, do not be scared by the music. Um, I, it's it's like if you have to, there's nothing in your closet. There's nothing under the bed. Call, call me tonight if you get scared. All right. Your first option, Sixers Adam. Your lips are really chapped all of the time. Um, chapstick gives you no release. There's the occasional crack. It's not totally cracked, but your lips are really, really chapped. You got the white stuff, the dead skin, the occasional crack in your lips for the rest of your life. Your other option is, for the rest of your life, you have to speak at a volume that is 40% higher than it needs to be at all times. Oh, so if you're in a meeting at work or everything is 40% louder than it needs to be. Sixers Adam, what is your, your response? I think I'm going to take the first option. Which is talking, talk, talking too loud at all times. It's just <laughs> <laughs> I like I don't like I I don't think a person could like function well within society doing that. I, I think I think I have to take the first option. Yeah, it it would be tough. I I don't know if you've ever had chap lips badly chap lips for an extended period of time, but it is horrible, and you do look kind of a little bit gross when it happens. So. Mike, your choice. I'm definitely going 40% louder. Absolutely. Oh, really? 100%. Wow. Yeah, chap lips, that's a nightmare. 40% louder. Here's the deal. I would tailor my personality around not saying much all the time. And so that when I did talk, not only would it be impactful that I'm, I, don't, I talk rarely, but I'd be loud as fuck doing it. And I think that that would <laughs> command people's attention a lot. I also think being slightly obnoxious does get you places in this life. Yeah. Um, and so if that just means I have less, uh, you know, volume modification, then that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to not have chapped lips forever. Yeah, uh, I agree. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Is that how it goes? And then uh, I, I want to throw this, um, throw this, because it's a short one. I want to throw this mailbag question at both of you. This is from a Jim who sat in first class on Fly the Process, wow. uh, the most recent Fly the Process. Mike, the first class upgrade was like 30 bucks. I found it and uh, legs ended up in first class for free somehow. Jesus. So, yeah. Um, oh, and speaking of planes, I, I met a guy at, shit, I forget his name, uh, at the beer garden at Parks Casino a couple of days ago, whose best friend is the guy who had the love connection in Minneapolis when they had the long distance romance that they eventually called it off. Apparently, there's rekindling of that flame. So I'm waiting for an update there. Wild. So this is from Jim from First Class for both of you. What are the chances that Ben Simmons shoots a three in the All-Star game? I was thinking about that today. Zero percent. I was thinking about it today. Zero? I don't think he's going to do it. I think it's pretty low, Mike. but I think if depending on who's on his team, if he's on LeBron's team and there's just guys yelling at him, and if, if Simmons had if he was a more jocular like outwardly jocular guy, he would just pull up 
and just take right. like a 30 footer and if it airballs he'd laugh about it and then it'd be like totally fine just like to take the air out of the thing but i i do have a feeling that some of his teammates are going to be yelling at him to do it and i wonder obviously that that happens on the sixers but i, I do wonder if if something about you know whether it's lebron or Giannis or whoever just being like take it do it will uh yeah yeah, I, I probably shouldn't have said zero percent, but but it would surprise me a lot. He's just like not, like he's not the type of guy who who would do something like that generally, at least to my eye. Um, but like you said, I mean, there there will be a difference between like Mike Scott yelling at him to shoot a three in an actual game and LeBron James yelling at him to shoot a three in an exhibition. Uh, Sixers, Adam, earmuffs for a second. Uh, hey, DraftKings, I. I need the Ben Simmons prop for the All-Star game. I, I assume that you guys have All-Star game props and you could bet them. I need the Ben Simmons makes a three prop for the All-Star game. I know it'll be lower odds, but I need that prop. Okay, Adam, you're muff, sir. You're good. You're good. You can listen to the rest. I don't even know what DraftKings is. <laughs> okay. Um, well... The trade deadline is Thursday at 3 p.m. We will have a pod that night. They pl- not only is the trade deadline Thursday at 3 p.m., but they play the Bucks that night. So it is a huge, huge, huge night. And then what is Miami on Monday? Well, thankfully, after these two losses, the Sixers are spending three nights in Miami, which should go, <laughs> should have them really prepared for Monday night. So that's good. That's the good news. Um, all right, we'll talk to you later this week. Trade deadline. Adam, are you're doing a five million or less trade deadline piece yep. this this week? Yep. yep. All right, great. In normal column. All right, uh, we'll talk to you later this week. Are you done with TTP? Sixers, Adam. Wow, am I getting to say it? Say it. Yeah, you know Lickface.